First of all, just want to welcome you again to the service and um, happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, yeah, like, uh, oh, I got to also say hi to people streaming in. Um, hi, Princeton. And then also, I know a lot of the students out there at Vision, you're at different uh, services. So uh, some of you might be watching, just want to say hi. And I know there are people watching uh, on GP Online. So hi to you, especially in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Go Celtics. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, hang in there over there. So um, uh, anyway, I don't know why I said that. So <laughs> all right. Well, uh, this is uh, uh, also graduation weekend for a lot of our graduates uh, GP-wide. So congratulations out there. I know um, we're uh, just walking around Boston just seeing um, family, parents, uh, uh, taking pictures with their gr graduates. Um, it's a, such a wonderful scene. Um, it reminded me of how our church goes out to graduations. This is before the pandemic, but like we would go out like almost all of us. Uh, at, you know, it seemed like the entire church went out there for like uh, one person, you know, and then their name would be called and we would cheer uh, so loudly that sometimes that the speaker at the podium would have to pause um, and everyone would turn around and say, what just happened? And then uh, one, a couple instances. One, it's very vivid where a mom said, can I pay you guys to cheer for my child? <laughs> so offered 20 bucks and we said, no, it's okay. We'll do that just out of goodwill. <laughs> so we did that and they really liked that. So um, yeah, so when you guys graduate, we'll do that for you. All right, so looking forward to that. How many of you are going to be seniors next year? This fall? Any seniors here? Oh, this is a young crowd. Any juniors here? Juniors to be? Okay. Are you guys graduating uh, as juniors? No? Okay. <laughs> They're all shaking their heads. Okay. All right. Well, um, as I said, we're going to go through First Peter, and you should have had a, sh uh, a sheet with the verses uh, delineated there. So uh, if you don't have one, those of you watching online... Uh, let's just read the text where you are, and here, if you could just uh, read it, uh, maybe just take turns reading it, and again, like before, circle words or phrases that just stood out to you, and maybe you could share why uh, you circled those words or phrases. So let's do that for a couple minutes. All right. No, there wasn't a whole lot of time, but let's get started. If you uh, noticed, I skipped a chapter and a half. I think it's, uh, uh, I understand we're behind uh, compared to the rest of the church, and so uh, we are going to skip, and so now we're in sync, but for you guys here in Boston, we'll go back and cover the missing chapters, so we're just kind of jumping in halfway through chapter four. Uh, the other thing is that as you look at it, it's not, not much space to write your notes, and in fact, for today's message, a disproportionate amount in fact, like more than half or almost three quarters will be on the first verse. Um, so I don't know how you're going to fit that in this little box here. But, um, but the theme is, is, is going to be pretty evident. So uh, hopefully you have other uh, places to write, other, um, uh, like a notebook or something. So we'll, we'll talk. So don't get nervous when we're about halfway through. We're still on verse 12. Uh, so I just <laughs> threw it out there. Um, so, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, happening to you. So, Apostle Peter says, 
do not be surprised at this fiery trial. So in other words, when you follow Jesus, you will face fiery trials. And we're not talking about a literal fire here, of course. It's not like you're going through battling a forest fire or something like that. But we're just talking about its intensity. And so why would it be strange when we experience trials? Think about that. And I think, to be sure, there are trials that all humanity faces with disease and illnesses and accidents and so forth. But I'm just talking about general trials that we face. Uh, like, I don't know, the trial of like waking up in the morning. Is that, is that a trial to you? Um, that was a trial for me for a while, especially was while I was in college. That's why that song by Keith Green, when he memorably sang, Jesus rose from the dead and you, you can't even get out of bed. Uh, that, that really just convicted me, man. That just, what am I doing? You know, uh, I was always thinking we should do, an, I, I should come up with an alarm clock that said that with his song, Jesus rose. Anyway, so that's a trial. Um, so I'm not talking about like um, kind of trials that you might traditionally think of as trials. I'm just talking about daily life type of trials. And I think one reason we think it strange, because it says as though something strange were happening to you, was that, is that I thought it's because a lot of us just think our life should just work out. Um, in other words, there's no, it, it should be, there's an unspoken expectation that it will be smooth and efficient and frictionless. And I don't know if you voiced it this way, but I think we experience that expectation when we start to gripe, when we complain, often in its, when it's manifested in kind of like that internal chatter uh, when we don't get what we want. So then we find it strange when there's resistance. So it's like, hey, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be awesome. And then you discover, no, things don't come as easy for me. Now, remember, like, I remember, you see this sometimes in kids um, when they realize, you know, they participate in some sports or something and they don't get that trophy or get that A and then they go, wait a minute, this is strange. Uh, because when you're a little child, I think you kind of expect that, you're, you're awesome, right? Like, you, you don't, you don't, you're not calibrated quite yet. So, um, so here's a question for you then. Do you think it's strange when trials happen in your life? Like, and again, I think one way to measure that is how often you find yourself complaining or griping about your, about your life. So the reality is I think we will be subject to trials. Everything in life has trials. Every stage of life has trials. Singleness has trials. When you get married, it has trials. When you get married with children, it has trials. When you go to the workforce, it has trials. When you're a student, you have trials. Um, but I think some of the harder trials are the trials that um, Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter is talking about here when he says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That is, trials that come as you follow Jesus. Because that has costs. And when I say follow Jesus, you seek to obey him. Uh, not just in terms of spreading the gospel, but just in terms of just trying to obey his commands. Um, and I think this will lead to resistance out there in the world. In the form of some criticism or some mockery. Um, and so one way, I think, to assess whether or not 
you've accepted these type of trials as you follow Christ is what robs you of joy as you follow God? Do you experience a discontentment as you look at what people are doing out there in the world? Now, when I go out onto the, here in Boston, the Charles River is really beautiful at this time of the year. People walking, their dogs. I don't know if you've seen that. You're just enjoying their nice espresso, you know, and then they're dressed a certain way that tells me that they have money to spend. And here I am passing by because I had to wake up early for devotions, you know. And um, I don't know, like, I guess you could get cranky over that. I guess you can go, look at, look at, look at what I'm doing it's so early in the morning to study God's Word. It's so strange, you know, whereas the rest of the world seems to leisurely be enjoying life. And I think that can rob you of joy, right? So I just gave that example. But uh, there's a lot of examples you could think of as you follow Christ or you attribute to the trials you're enduring because of Christ. Maybe, man, I didn't get the grade I wanted because I had to, I don't know, there are certain commitments to church. and Or maybe as you're walking, just in terms of, you know, the way you uh, approach the opposite sex, maybe they, like the world has a certain idea of that, right? It's like treating people as objects, but you're trying to exercise self-restraint in that area, and it seems like, wow, that's hard. Uh, so it's in these different expressions that we I experience this uh, trial. And so I guess the key is, um, is, that, is that robbing you of joy? Or is it a moment where you affirm again the life of discipleship, that this is just how it's going to be? Where remember when you made that commitment to follow Jesus, you know, it's to take up the cross daily, to deny yourself, take up the cross daily and follow me. And still, I think it's a surprise to us when things are less convenient or you start paying costs as you seek to obey him. So in those moments, I just want to exhort you, just want to encourage you to look at Jesus' life. Now, it seems like that's just an obvious point, but I think it really helps me. It helps calibrate me because I think about Jesus and I think about, wow, he often went without food and he had no place to lay his head and he was often... Uh, he often encountered persecution uh, from the religious elite. He was often misunderstood and maligned and eventually was killed. Or if you go like, wow, that's Jesus, then you look at Apostle Paul's life, a fellow like, like here, here's a disciple of Jesus, and you read through the epistles and you go, wow, like his life was wrecked by something one or another and beaten and imprisoned and often near death, constant danger, and yet there's so much joy. So I think when you look at such figures, I think it helps us. I think it does help. It helps me. So we shouldn't only uh, come, to, come to recognize that there are trials, but we should really come to expect it. And, um, and why is that? Because I think in the midst of living life, just in terms of regular life, there's an additional feature that I haven't talked about, which is that we're in the midst of opposition from Satan. And I think it's personal. Often it's personal attack, but other times it's just simply through the world's institutions. 
Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the rulers and authorities of our world, what are they? They are the institutions or the culture that define what is normal and healthy. So even though we as Christ followers know how to reject that, or maybe even wax eloquent about that because we understand that living just simply for materialism, like we have a certain script, right? But the truth of the matter is the air is thick in the culture out there that opposes God's values, and it does oppress you. All of its comforts, it subtly just seeps into our brains And then it shows up in our choices in terms of what we buy, what we wear, how we spend our time. And I think when that happens, it particularly hits us as a trial. Especially when, even though we intellectually understand, uh, when it works against our preferences and our desires. I think that's when it really starts to hit home. Oh man, this is tough. I remember working as a programmer way back in the day, and I started to work, and I started, this is back in the 90s, so uh, now it just seems so regular, like, just, but back then, uh, there were these perks called free food, and then there was Tuesdays, there were free bagels, Thursdays was free muffins, Fridays was free pizza. You could tell I still remember this. Um, (laughs) On my own cubicle, they would restock at night. Uh, free drinks, and I would write on a post-it, what I would like for tomorrow is, and then I would write, can you put, and my favorite, to my caloric detriment, was Kearns. I don't know if you know that sweet fruit drink. I don't know how many grams of sugar is in that thing, but I would say, please, restock it with just Kearns. And then next morning, like magic, boom. Right next to my, and I just, I would down those, and I was like, oh my gosh, why am I getting bigger? (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) Um, and I started to talk to my, my coworkers about the weekend, and uh, they're talking about their leisure activities. Um, and they uh, just, it would go something like this. And I had one coworker that was very detailed in what he wanted to do, and he just wanted me to just hear that. Like, oh, yeah, t- tonight I'm going to uh, go out with my friends. We're going to catch a movie tomorrow. We're going to go, like, play some basketball, and then we're going to go and to the city, and we're going to attend a concert, and the next day, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's nice for you. And I started to get absorbed in those thoughts after a while, you know? And I go, yeah, that's, that sounds nice. Maybe I could join you one of these days. And then I get an email that says, there's a work day tomorrow on Saturday for church, you know? Or, oh my gosh, like, we need to prepare for this Bible study. And suddenly my preferences, uh, their experiences a pushback. And so I remember going out to pray it during lunch and um, go to a nearby park when I was uh, working at that company. And then there was this pendulum swing in my heart, living for God and living for the world, and it would oscillate back and forth, um, sang some hymns, reminded myself of what is true. And so when I did that, I experienced this pushback this in the form of 
trial. It's a pushback from the world because it's inviting me to another type of life. And so when we think of trials, it's not going to be flat-out persecution. It's not going to be dramatic like you imagine being told, renounce your faith or burn at the stake. It's not going to be like that for us. Instead, it will be like what I just described. After you graduate, you college students out there, you finally get the job that you want and with the salary that you want, hopefully. And then your coworker will ask you, why are you thinking of getting a minivan or something, you know? And you might say, it's because I want to give rides to people the way I was given rides to a church. And I need a seven seat, I need seven seats to be passengers to drive students from Gordon College all the way here. Like, I don't know, like you can have that. And they're thinking, that's strange. <laughs> you should get a sports car, two-seater. One passenger is all you need. In fact, all, you is just all you need. Um, and then they may give you a smirk when you narrate what you're going to be doing that weekend. So the dominant worldview in terms of like what's acceptable in terms of love, sexuality, purpose, truth, all of that, let's all recognize it's not in, in agreement with the Christian worldview. And when you fight against that and push back against the encroachment of the world, then, of course, you, you will inevitably experience trials. So to live counter to this, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? Well, one thing you should not do is to simply question living for God as legitimate just because the world thinks it's strange. Of course it's strange to them. Right? Like living for God, it's not within the world's systems. So you start but but I've seen this happen where people start to reevaluate uh, their commitment to God and start to see the demands of discipleship through the lens of pressure. I feel pressure. I feel pressure at church. I feel pressure when I read the Bible or I hear messages. And therefore, there's something wrong with living this kind of life. Do you ever feel that way? I think it would be natural if you felt that way. But don't, like, here's where you have to be clearer because the reality is that pressure that you feel is a good thing because it's inherent in, in inherent when you are trying to live up to something. Live up versus living down. And what I mean by that is I remember going to a high school from middle school to high school and my middle school, yeah, people were not academically inclined. I've suddenly moved into the high school Everyone is going to go to IVs at that school. And boy, was there pressure, man. Like, I can't, like, hang out after school. Everyone is studying. Everyone is, there is this built-in pressure. But then, like, imagine if I went to a school that was not like that. Of course, there wouldn't be any pressure, right? So it's this idea that are you trying to live up to some standard? The, the more you do that, the more pressure you'll feel. The, if you start to live down to something, then you, the less pressure you feel. And in fact, you might not feel any pressure at all. So is it a surprise when God wants to uh, refine us 
and call us to a higher life, and He wants to do something with our life that's very valuable, and then it happens in the form of trials, is it any surprise that you feel at times this pressure? So, are you going to embrace it when it comes, or are you going to then question this whole thing because it's strange to the world? That's something that you have to really work through. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So there is a purpose to these fiery trials. It's to test you. So the word fiery, um, it really is in the, in the sense of the word here that's used here, it conjures up the image of refining, as in refining of metals. Uh, that is the removing of all the impurities in a, in a furnace. My, my father was a metallurgist, so he would be very familiar with this process of, of purifying metals so that at the end of it, you've got like 99.995% zinc or whatever it might be. So God wants to similarly purify us, and this happens through trials, fiery trials. And his... This idea of going back to this testing, it's idea, it's not so much like, um, it, it's, not, it's not like an assessment, an evaluation testing. It's a, it's, it's a refining testing. It's a purifying testing so that your faith may be proved genuine over time so that your faith, I don't want to quantify it, it's like 99.995%. So, why would you test the quality of something? Because it's going to do some things. So with the metal, my father was, a, like I said, a metallurgist, aerospace engineer, and he worked on the F-20 Tiger Shark, I remember, which since has been in the museum because it didn't work out so well. The F-16 beat out the F-20, but uh, I remember um, my dad talking to me about it at dinner, you know, how he wanted the kind of titanium alloy to uh, be able to endure the stress test uh, of all of what it's going to, the pressure that this fighter jet will endure. So then if you, you want to use that analogy to purify one's faith, then assumes that you need to be a certain quality in terms of your faith as a Christian because you need to endure some things. And those things are trials that come, like I said earlier, living life for God, but also because we're on a mission to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, here in Boston, planning a church, first year, that's a trial in of itself. It's going to be challenging, and so it's that context that can potentially lead to a purification of your faith. And I think this is the high vision for every believer that God wants to have for each of us. He wants to use us, and therefore He wants to make us stronger. In our faith. So, how do trials expose our faith as strong or weak? Mixed and impure versus pure and genuine. I think it's, yeah, like, I think it's those moments when, like I described at the park, after work, when my thoughts were getting absorbed. And then, instead of escaping or disengaging, not caring running away, saying, oh my gosh, this life is not worth it, or just being stoic, to work out your faith and say, what do I really believe? 
Why do I want to do this for God? I mean, have you ever had those moments? Have you had a, a moment of that level of pressure where it causes you to pray in that way or deal with the level of faith that you have? Because I think we should come to expect that because God wants to purify it. And, and when, when, when those things happen, yeah, those questions naturally occur to us. What am I going to do with my life? But then you work it out, right? Like that familiar pattern for me, like what am I going to do with my life? Is this true? Again, life is short. So after I graduate, I'm going to work. After I work, I'm going to get some money. I'm going to get a house. I'm going to start a family. And then it's more of the same and more of the same and more of the same. And I could project it all out. And I go, is this what life is all about? Could there be a higher purpose than just living? And then I go back to death is certain. And then I go back to why is it that I need to, uh, I find this not very satisfying. Something about my soul and the way it's designed. And so if you've ever worked it out in this way, or even go the route of, man, like today I was so mean um, my character is so poor. Uh, I gave in to that desire. What does this revile? Uh, what does this reveal about me? It's that moral question. Why do I do bad things? And then you're reminded Jesus died for me. I need a savior. And it's that kind of working out of your faith that presumably comes when you are pushed that you emerge with a more purified faith. So fiery trials are not a, necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it seems very necessary to arrive at a stronger commitment to God. So don't be at odds with this aspect of Christian life. So here, I want us to pause here. What are trials of various kinds that you encounter on a regular basis? And I want to add, what has been your response when those trials come? So think about it, and I'll give you a minute and a half to share that with your neighbor. Okay, let's do that.
that wasn't a whole lot of time. So just as you end, look at them and say, you will face trials. Just say that to each other. And then, I don't know, are you, are you saying it in an encouraging way or it's like hopeful or, okay. Anyway, that's about half the message in one verse, okay. Um, so this will go by fast. Uh, verse 14, it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now that doesn't quite follow, right? If you are insulted you are, for the name of Christ, you are blessed. It says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Part of that is that you will experience what Jesus experienced when he suffered through life for the sake of the gospel. Because when he was anguishing at the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, and he was about to be crucified, and after that temptation in the desert, you remember, uh, God came to him and strengthened him and ministered to him. And so in the same way, we get to participate in what Christ participated in a small way, and God's Spirit will come to rest upon us. And how that works out is often in the context of ministry. Now, some of you, you're new to ministry relatively. uh, That is, loving people, sharing the gospel with them, caring for them. So you haven't quite know, you don't know the texture of what I mean. And certainly, you may not have had the experience of being insulted for the name of Christ. But I still think maybe some of you have gone through some kind of trial for Christ in that way. If you ever flyered and just, you know, got rejected in your face, or I remember just like people, like you make eye contact as they, as you flyer, and you're like, yeah, and then they like look at you as if they're going to take it and they walk right past you. Um, It was very deliberate on their part, Um, maybe in some small way like that, or maybe someone has openly reviled you. I know some people here experience that when they're openly insulting you because you represent Christ. Man, it gets really tough out there. Just calling you a religious fanatic or out of your mind, never mind that many people are into things that are fanatical whether it's like some device and people line up and bow down at the altar of the great apple (laughs) or in Texas, because I was there for five years, you bow down at the altar of the great football, an oblong disc, (laughs) oblong figure. And then if you ever see the stadium, it does look like an altar at UT, you know, like (laughs) Titus is just (laughs) laughing about it. Um, Never mind that people are into these things with just utmost devotion, but when it comes to serving God, they call you weird. And that's part of the insult that we experience. They call you weird just for simply going to Bible study when going to parties are normal, I guess. And so you're made to feel this way and even revile you or gossip with their friends behind your back, especially if you don't go drinking or if you don't do all the other things that everyone else does. So why is it a blessing? It's because God protects you over time. He is with you. And somehow I can testify, here I am, the way that that's worked out in over 30 years of ministry, is yeah, have I been insulted for the name of Christ? Yes, I have. There are pains and hurts. Uh, Have people rejected me for people that I've ministered to for a long, long time, yes. Um, 
you would think that that would leave me with a sense of outrage and even reeling from that pain um, and even question whether or not this is worth doing. But truth of the matter is I still get so excited just going out there and even doing the cookies for a question. Do you want to hear about the gospel? After all of these decades, it's still fresh. And I know it's not because I'm this super spiritual person. Somehow, God's protection, uh, His Spirit has rested upon me all of these years to enable me to keep going. Um, and that's truly been a blessing. Um, Spirit of God resting on me, giving me proper perspective when I needed it, surrounding me with people to strengthen me and to remind me that I am not crazy during those low moments where I want to throw in the towel. That experience of being close to God in that way, I, I can't explain it other than it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. So, Peter says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory be revealed. And ultimately, we experience the blessing of the heavenly reward when this glory is revealed. It means one day, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll get to fellowship, God willing, with the spiritual greats at the table of fellowship i will be i will have a seat at the temp, uh, at the at the table in their company and i think jesus is unabashed about this type of motivational structure that to long for heavenly reward uh, is a noble motivation for whatever life throws at us so indeed i should be rejoiced i should rejoice i should rejoice in so far as you share in christ's sufferings and then in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, there's suffering that is self-imposed, that result from your own sinful character or nature. But yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. That kind of suffering. Don't be ashamed of that. Um, why would there be, I can understand if there's shame in suffering from verse 15. Why would there be shame in suffering for Christ? And I think we get that too, like I was saying all before, because we're strange. It's like you even pray before a meal, you're considered strange. And so it might lead you down self-consciousness and self-pity. But Peter says, don't be ashamed. Instead, let him glorify God in that name. That is, don't shrink back. This is your chance to say, God will work through this. And it's, a, it's an expectation, it's a hopeful expectation, expectation that out of this, there will be a purer faith on, our, on my part, a greater capacity to serve, and I can rejoice in it and then ultimately glorify God in it. And so lastly, in verse 19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their souls to God, in other words. So whenever things get tough and you feel like the struggle to live a life 
honoring God is waning. You're thinking in your thoughts, this is too much. And opportunities present themselves to press the eject button right now on this whole Christian life thing instead of giving into those voices or those feelings that we have. Go back to Scripture and say, I need to trust God. That's what it means to entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Go and pray and allow the truth of God to remind you, as I said earlier, primary colors of the gospel. What am I I here for? What is my purpose? Do I, I need a savior? All of those things, who God is, who you are, I'm a sinner that's forgiven. And I think that will strengthen us and purify our faith. So when you're having a hard time, and not getting the immediate payoff, I encourage you to entrust yourself to him in that way. And I think concretely what that means is find that prayer spot, um, which I still like really, really cherish those moments. Like, and you know, Sunny has her own prayer closet, but uh, I don't like that. It's, I don't like the dark. Um, in that way, but I like to be outside, so it's not literally a, a prayer closet, but it's that prayer space for you, because I think it's in that moment where you find yourself entrusting yourself to God again. So I want to encourage you um, to have this level of experience in the midst of trials, and again, how does this um, all work itself out There's going to be friction in this world as you particularly follow Christ. You're going to find yourself needing to exercise self-restraint, not lashing out. Um, And so in those moments, don't blame God. Uh, Don't blame your circumstances. Blame people. Blame your mentors. Blame your peers. But instead, sweetly, like, receiving this pain, understanding that God is going to able to form Jesus in me through this experience. And although it's very, very hard, just ask God, Lord, it is hard. It is hard. I am tempted to quit, but help me, please. And then lean on your church and your mentors. And as you do so, you will emerge from that, refining your faith, more mature, more available for whatever God has has for you now and in the future. May that be our testimony Uh, Let's just take a moment now, share with your neighbor, like, what is one concrete thing you want to do uh, in response to what you've heard? So just concrete, what ways are you going to entrust your soul to God? So let's do that, and then we will have our final song and close. Let's pray together. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you that we can build our life on the firm foundation of your son Jesus. We thank you that we get to live this life a blessing for you, though the world may find it strange. May we experience the trials as they come as opportunities to refine our faith and ultimately glorify you. Lord, we confess living in this world with all its tempting voices to settle for a normal, manageable life is hard, but may we remember what you did for us when your son Jesus endured the greatest trial on the cross to bring eternal life to us. May we follow in your footsteps and rejoice when we face 
these kind of various trials knowing that one day we will reap heavenly rewards and in this life it will enable us to lead to, sal to lead to salvation for many so we thank you for this privilege